If you listen to the show, you already know that we cannot exist without our sponsors. They are the ones who make things happen behind the scenes. So let's acknowledge Fuji Sports. We've been working with these guys for a while now, not only as far as this podcast is concerned, but also at the Roll Academy. We've had their gear. I personally use their geese. What a phenomenal product. Yeah, I mean, jujitsu, judo, MMA, um, tape, bags, anything you need for your jujitsu journey you can find at fujisports.com. Let's talk Roll TV. There's so much content on there. It's ridiculous at this point. But I think what is even more intriguing, as time went on during the project, we've been recording most of the events that were taking place here at Roll Academy. At this point, I mean, we have guys like Chris Howder, Armin Fadi, Rafael Lovato Sr., and, and Pete the Greek. I mean, there were so many different events that we've kind of recorded it. Don't you think that's amazing? I mean, points of reflection and kind of going back for all the students to see what really happened and refresh their memory. Yeah, I think it's great, you know, being able to go back and look at all these high-level practitioners, uh, Octavio Kudo, like uh, one of the names you didn't mention. And I mean, just these guys that have been doing this for so long come in, uh, teach these amazing seminars and workshops, and it's all recorded and there for you to watch. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to get the additional savings on all this, type in code ROLLRADIO at the coupon and get additional 30% off of your membership. Nice. Go to rollacademy.tv. What's up, everyone, and welcome back. If you haven't already, please remember to hit the like, share, subscribe, download, listen, and whatever other button there is, and leave us a review wherever you do listen. That ensures that we can continue bringing you the great guests and amazing content that you have come to expect. Today's guest was literally at the beginning of BJJ in the United States and has the distinction of being Horry and Gracie's very first student in America. Richard Bressler joins us to discuss the earliest days of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in the U.S., his chance encounter with Horian that changed his life, how jiu-jitsu has evolved over the past 40 years, how he overcame depression and drug use through jiu-jitsu, and a ton more. Here's the Roll Radio with Horian Gracie's first student in the USA, instructor at 360 Martial Arts in Los Angeles, California, and the author of the book, Worth Defending, How Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Saved My Life, Richard Bressler. Welcome to Raw Radio. <laughs> and we are live. Yeah, Always they anticipate the countdown. Yes, we got cued <laughs> in by our guest today. I like it. <clears throat> It, this one I flexed. Hey, yeah, I, 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 listen, it's, right it's, it's all about making the impression, right? Or all about the entry. Yeah, that's why I keep. You don't want me to flex. You know, that's why I keep big, big, bulky clothes on. Nobody wants to see what's going on in here. Uh, well, first of all, thank you, thank you for being here. And um, I'm actually looking to this to this conversation quite a bit. We've had one of our goals with this show and the, with these conversations is really to bring some of the history components of jujitsu and bring everybody together. You know, as we continue aging and this beautiful art continues unfolding and growing and and evolving in its own i feel like sometimes we forget where it came from or what are the origins of of some of this and the new generations well they might not know they might forget it might disappear it might dissolve and thanks to individuals like you 
you know, we can keep it alive. So first of all, thank you for being here. Thanks for sharing this time with us. Thank you for inviting me. So what's unique about you, and right off the bat, I want to I get to the bottom of this, but there, there is this thing that you are the, or you were the first student of Horian Gracie. Is that true? The story goes like this. <laughs> Way back last century, <laughs> you know, Horian told me, I guess a couple of people, he had taught a couple of different people isolated, but nobody stuck with it. You know, he gave a class and they were like, okay. So, but I was the first guy who took the class and went like, oh my God, I got to do this again. And again, and again, and again. I mean, that was it. So when when he started making a list which i have a copy of that he had a little book and i was always number one and everyone else came after me there you go so the first regular student isolated class here and there how does that make you feel i mean today jiu-jitsu is i don't know household name but it's definitely very very popular especially in the u.s and you are talking about being number one name in the book that some might even consider as a origins or source of what was happening in U.S. way back then. Well, you know, as far as making me feel a certain way, it, you know, it's kind of like I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And, and that was it for me. It was definitely both of those things, right place, right time, because I was really going nowhere fast, you know, doing drugs, hating the business I was in, in a family business. And so when jujitsu came along, you know, it's just like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and try this stuff because when he told me about it, I'm like, oh yeah, we're very well known in Brazil and it's the, you know, it's the most effective martial art and self-defense. And I'm like, and you're not standing back going, ha, you know, and so, you know, to be part of that is looking back now. I mean, it's amazing when I see how it's grown because I, I just did someone else's podcast a few days ago. And one of the things that the guy was saying is he said, oh, yeah, there's quite a few studios. Oh, you know, when you're looking for jujitsu, all you got to do is look in your phone book or look online. And or drive down the street, especially in a bigger city, and you'll see a jujitsu school almost every five minutes. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of jujitsu. And I reminded him, I said, You wanted jujitsu back then. You went to Horian's garage, period. Because me being the first, I mean, I got a private class and then another private class. And it's not like I went to a school. You know, it's like, I'm going, how are these guys so well known and no one knows them here? And he told me, he says, look, if you're in, if something's in Brazil, it stays in Brazil. When you take it to the U.S., it goes out to the world. And that, that was his goal. He told me this a long time ago. He said, I came here because I want to, I just, I just want to get it out there. <laughs> and, is that Horian calling? Uh, is that? <laughs> yeah, Horian, I can't talk right now. I'm sorry. 
But at the same time, so, so step back a little bit from this. How, how, how do you, first of all, how do you guys meet? What is the point at which this conversation takes place? Him sharing, and again, we've had him on a show here. Um, and, and what a, first of all, f- fabulous personality and such a, such a radiating love for jujitsu. I mean, you it, like it's it's yeah. very difficult to even like you just sit. We we just sat back and we were listening like the whole thing. It is just amazing to talk to the man. How do you guys? Wh- how are your cr- paths cross? Like, how do you meet him? What's the first day? Well, so you read my book, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you know the answer to this question. But for but for for the audience who doesn't, being the unhappy camper that I was, I, and you know, like it was a, it looked like a chance meeting. I think it was meant to be, but I happened to buy a waterbed mattress from a buddy that was in the, you know, he was a salesman for the sleep shop in uh, Topanga Plaza. And I had the mattress and then he said, Hey Richard, you can get a whole, set the frame, all this other stuff. And I'm going like, wow, it's a much better deal to do it that way. So I said, I'll do it that way. I said, look, can you credit me the mattress? And he said, no, can't credit. It's, it's got to go with it. If he would have said, yes, I'll credit you the mattress. We probably wouldn't be sitting here today. <laughs> but anyway, so I had this extra mattress and I'm going like, well, I got to sell this. And I put it in the recycler and his roommate answered the ad. Um, I had an answering machine, one of those things with a audio cassette in it. <laughs> Many who listen yeah. don't have no clue so, what you're yeah, talking we're, about. We're bringing people back. So they <laughs> all got waterbeds and answering machines. <laughs> Waterbed, audio cassette. Where are these guys from? Um, so when I got home, I got the message. I called the number back. I didn't even get the name. I just said someone called me about a uh, mattress. And Horian answered. And he goes, that was my roommate, but he already got a mattress. So, you know, and I said, okay, well, thanks. And I was about ready to hang up, but he goes, but I'm looking for one. And I said, okay, well, he lived in Redondo Beach. I lived in Marina Del Rey. And I said, well, you know, it's over here right now. Come on down. And the guy jumped in his car and, you know, back then you could get from Hermosa or Redondo Beach to the Marina in, in 15 or 20 minutes can't do that anymore, Not anymore. <laughs> and so he came in we went upstairs i showed him the mattress i had some sheets like you said he was very smooth very charismatic very confident very relaxed and uh and he said how much for the sheets and i said you know i had three sets i said 15 dollars a set which is for a king size set of sheets in the package, brand new. It's a great deal. And he goes, how about all three sets for $15? (laughs) And I said, that's $5 a set. And he goes, come on in from Brazil. I don't speak a lot of English. I don't have a lot of money, you know? And I went like, and he was such a nice guy too. And he goes, besides you never know when it'll come back to you. You do something nice, you know. And I said, you know what? What the hell? So he he got the waterbed mattress and three sets of sheets 
for $40, a king size mattress. Hustler. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as we're walking out, you know, we're upstairs, we walk down from my townhouse and he goes, have you ever done any martial arts? You know, my friend, have you ever done any martial arts? And I said, well, you know, I boxed for, you know, a few months. You know, I, I just, he looked like an athlete, even though, I mean, he was, you know, his neck was, and I just, I didn't want to sound like inadequate. And I said, why do you ask? And he says, well, my family's been doing jujitsu in Brazil for 60 years and we're very well known and we're champions. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, right. <laughs> but, and he says, why don't you come by for a free class? And, and I went, wow. And so it begins. Free class, martial arts, champions. It's like, wow. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, I went over to his house. This is before Hermosa Beach, you know, which became the garage. And uh, I went to his place, knocked on the door went in he took me over to this closet and he had a you know filled with you know cleaned kimonos not new by any means i mean they were like really they were old and you can see that you know but he traveled i he brought these over from brazil so he took one out my size said put this on we went up to the garage and uh you know and I, when i went to the garage first of all you have to understand the mindset that I had, I was doing, I mean, I was doing quaaludes, cocaine, smoking pot. And so when you weren't high, you were tended to be kind of paranoid and depressed. I mean, I wasn't happy with my life. So when I went out to the garage and I see a fake gun, a real knife and a club hanging up on the wall, and I'm going, wow, this guy could be a murderer too. <laughs> I mean, he, he you yeah. know, the guy could kill me. And, uh, but, you know, the way my brain was working, but I did it, you know, and, and I was expecting like, okay, when am I going to scream? When am I going to, you know, yay. And, you know, show me how to punch. Was it that typical? He says, you what mount would you do? Me and, and he did like, yeah. And he grabbed me and he says, what would you do if, and he says, look, punching, he says, I'm bigger than you. If you know how to punch, maybe you'll do some damage. But if you don't hit me right, like I said, I'm bigger than you. And he says, let's put that out punching bit. So I said, okay. And I didn't know what to do. He showed me something, you know. And then when he did a, a little wrist grab, when I went to grab him, and he did this little wrist lock on me very gently. And when he did it, he, you know, like I, he could see I kind of went, ah. you know, and he you know, and he kind of massaged it and said, oh, you okay? I, fine. So very gentle. Nothing was like, you know, like, I'm going to show you how tough I am. And, uh, and then he says, why don't you lay down my friend? You know, I lay down in the mat and he mounts on top of me. He says, what would you do if someone's on top of you like this? Well, I think I would do. No, no, no. I said, don't tell me. He says, show me. So, you know, I, I try for about 15 seconds or so trying to push him up. And I'm like, I said, okay, you know, and then to my, in my brain, I'm thinking I'm screwed. I mean, if this guy, you know, I mean, he could really be, I mean, I didn't know the guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he was very smooth and charismatic, but, 
And then he said, okay. And he says, you mount on top of me. He says, hold me down. Same way, you know, so I held him down and, and he rolled me like so fast. It was like, and I went, well, I mean, it was so convincing to me. I said, I have to learn this stuff. I have to do this. And uh, so we left, you know, I mean, the, the class ended. He, we went to the kitchen. He gave me some fresh watermelon juice, you know, that he squeezed right in front of me. It wasn't in the fridge. The guy squeezed it uh-huh. in a blender with a cloth bag. I mean, with some fresh dates. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. All this was free. And then he says, okay, you know, you want, and I said, look, I'd like to come back. How much is it? $10 for a half an hour class. And I went, okay, I'm down. And here we are a few years later. A few, a few. <laughs> a century. <laughs> but w- well, when this you was- think about it, 40, 44 plus years, yeah. I mean, that's not really that long ago. No. When you see how jujitsu has, and and you were talking about the younger audience. Most younger people, they have no idea. They just thought jujitsu is they just like they always thought when they were young. Oh, cell phones were here. We all, everyone had cell phones. Yeah, and th- and th- that's the mind blowing part, right? So, like, I have a million questions right now in my head, but like, this is the mind blowing <laughs> part that that time passes by so fast, and jujitsu is really not that old of an art. It's like it's like it's it's here in us it really started right around our generation you know but as time goes on you know some of these things some of those stories will be forgotten and they will kind of they won't get passed on you know so this is the big mission at least in my mind you know we've had many guests from the quote-unquote dirty dozen club on the show and and a lot of them explain the same story as you do it feels like this was this the big selling point behind the entire gracie family bahorian particularly let them mount you see what you're gonna do you can't do anything let's switch the position and then let me show you how easy this is and jujitsu sells itself it just presentation was was just so simple wasn't it yo yeah were you convinced that moment when he reverses you from the mount position that this is something unique? Did you feel like you you were powerless even though you were on top? Uh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't convinced that it was because, remember, back then he was also saying this was the most effective martial right. art. It wasn't just this. It was the most. And, I, and I'm thinking, wait a second. You know, you. Back then, you're brought up on, I don't know if you guys remember the movie Billy Jack. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Enter the Dragon, Mm -hmm. Chuck Norris. Mm -hmm. You know, you saw this stuff Mm -hmm. on TV. You saw fighting scenes. And that's what you thought real fighting was. So the stuff that he was showing me, especially in the beginning, there wasn't any, I mean, because he focused on self-defense he showed me how to do an open palm strike, showed me how to use the elbow, showed me how to kick, you know, but not to knock people out. I mean, the, the elbow strike could knock somebody out, but everything else was a distraction to clinch. Yep. So, you know, to 
to see as time went by, and then he told me about his brother Hickson and, and some of the fights they've had. And then he, after, you know, he had a uh, VHS tape of Hickson's first fight with Zulu. And I saw that and I was just like, wow, that's, that's, you know, pretty amazing. I do have to ask you, have you ever had a conversation with Horian about the mattress story, but like decade later, like, have you guys revisited that first moment when you guys met? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the reason why I'm asking this, because I mean, meeting about the mattress in some complete stranger's house, that's story of its own. But that moment when he came over, and trying to hustle you over the the bad sheets that changes the direction of your life doesn't it oh absolutely i mean where would you be to, I mean, where would you be today if that day like he didn't show up or maybe you told him no no i'm not gonna budge on the price this is take it or leave it i mean this could go in many directions here get many directions here right yeah you know it really could and uh i mean it's just the way I think things happen the way they were supposed to happen. Because w when I was doing drugs, I got into therapy because I thought drugs were the problem. This before I met Hori. Mm -hmm. Because I wanted, I wanted out. I wasn't happy. I, I you know, just... I saw the way that I was, and I think this happens to a lot of people with drugs, is it, especially if you have a, if you have come from a good place, and I always saw myself as being honest when I was younger, but when I was doing drugs, I was also, to pay for my drugs, I would also buy a little extra, especially with cocaine. With pot, I mean, I would always buy it. I'd buy a pound and sell off ounces after a while because I went, well, I could pay for my own stuff and have a couple ounces. And then I could be the guy that, hey, man, you want to get high? I mean, I would always, I'd be really very, very, uh, I was open and wanted to share with everybody. So it's like, hey, yeah, Richard's so generous with his stuff. I was generous because I wasn't paying for it. And I didn't care about the profits. I just wanted the extra stuff. And with cocaine, I would get decent quality cocaine and then cut it a little bit and always tell the guy that I oh, said, oh, yeah, this is pure. I, you know, I didn't do anything to it. So I was lying to these guys mm -hmm. and not feeling good. And then when I had, a, I had a guy come to my house to buy some cocaine and he gave me his weekly paycheck to get this. And it, I went like, God, this just doesn't feel good to do something like this. And I I didn't like who I was becoming. Statute of limitations, you know, on drug dealing is... <laughs> yeah, I don't think you got anything <laughs> to worry about. <laughs> How long of a shit... But I was, I was a small time, you know, it was a small time thing, you know. Yeah. But uh, it I didn't like who I was, so I was, you know, I got into therapy. So when I met Horian, I mean, I was seriously looking for a change. Didn't know where it was going to come from. How long did it take? But when I entered into therapy, and then well, before for, I well, when you start training with Horian, uh, how how what's the transition like from small time you know dealing to full time jujitsu and changing everything else? 
Well, after, so I started in July of 1979. Hori and I, you know, I was a student, um, teacher relationship, and, but always, you know, was, he was very accommodating, very friendly. And then he left to go to Brazil in November and for two months because it was summer in Brazil when it's winter here. So this was the worst time of my life. I had the worst binge in December and because I, I was in the fast food business, hating my life, doing quaaludes and cocaine, had the worst month of December where I thought I honestly thought I was going to kill myself. I mean, I, I wasn't looking good. People tell me I was looking gray. I mean, very, very, you know. And uh, does he when he came back? Does he know about your addiction at that point? Well, let me let me tell you the rest of the story. Okay. So, so he came back. We're in the garage. And uh, by the way, I tell about this in my book called Worth Defending. <laughs> Sorry, I had to give it there a cheat. Oh, no. It, we, we, we're going to plug this thing all the way through. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, so this is back January, February. Remember, I've been through the worst binge of my life. The depression that follows that and the self-worth is, it's it's terrible. So he shows me a move. He, tr I try to execute it on some guy that came from Brazil and I'm training with. I couldn't do it. I left the garage. I walked out to my car and I was going like, oh, Richard, you suck. I mean, it was poor Richard. I sat in my car and I couldn't go anywhere because I was just sobbing. I mean, I couldn't leave for like 10 minutes. I'm just crying going, what am I going to do? I suck. Why am I doing this? You know, what a waste of time. So Horian sees me sitting in my car. He comes out. He says, what's the matter? And I told him, I says, hey, you show me how to do this. And I obviously am not good at this. I couldn't do the move. So why are you wasting your time with me? And he goes, it's interesting because it, it still brings up that, uh, those feelings. And he goes, he said, Richard, he said, there's no such thing as a bad student. There's only bad teachers. But he said, I'm the best. He said, I am the best at what I do. So all you have to do is keep coming back. And my initial thought was, wow, this guy's so hard up for money. He's going to lie to me. <laughs> so I went like, but there was this little part of me that goes, okay, I'll try it his way for a little bit. And he said, you'll, look, you'll learn the way you're supposed to learn, but you got to keep showing up. Mm -hmm. So I came back. And so months down the line, I'm, I go into therapy. I'm, you know, I'm in therapy. And, and then I realize I'm living with two guys in the music business. And in the music business, the guys are doing drugs. You know, and, and they were well-known, you know, with a well-known, you know, company. Um, so as this, the year went on, the summer went on, I kept talking to my therapist and I, and, you know, and I'd talk to Horian 
And I said, you know, I got to get away from these guys. I got to get a new living situation. I, but I couldn't afford to live on my own. I needed a roommate. So, you know, I talked to the, to the uh, therapist and he goes, yeah, he said, that's a good idea. So after one of my classes, I was talking to Hori and this is probably in maybe beginning of September of 80. And I said, I need to get a new roommate. He says, Richard, I need a new roommate. Let's get a place together. And I'm like, the first thing I thought of, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> I'm doing drugs, man. And you're this clean guy who does jujitsu and you want to live with me? Well, unbeknownst to me, he had no credit and couldn't get a place on his own. But still, he said, let's get a place. We found this, the house on 3rd Street, which is known as the garage. You've probably seen pictures mm -hmm. online. And uh, it's a small two-bedroom, one-bath. And the nicer bedroom was in the back of the house. And we went in. He goes, here, you'll take this bedroom. And I was like, wow. Okay. Anyways, to answer your question, I would be there sometimes in my room, in front of my desk, and in my desk, I'd pull the drawer out, and there'd be a little mirror, and I'd chop up cocaine, and I'd be snorting cocaine. So here, I'm still living with him. I remember he, I'm there snorting a little cocaine. Horian knocks on the door, opens the door, and I'm sitting there snorting, and, uh, he looks at me and I look at him and I go, hey, man, this is really good stuff. You want some? And he goes, maybe later. You know, obviously never partook, but never gave me any crap about doing drugs. Just kept saying, keep taking care of yourself. Put good things into your body. Just, just focus on doing something good for you. Never, ever made me feel bad about what I was doing to myself. Did it work? So. Well, yeah, I mean, I lived with him for a year. I moved out just, I think, about a month or so before Hiran was born. And uh, and I was doing drugs a little bit, but slowly, like, dwindling down, getting down where I just, you know, it just, I, I uh, probably... I stopped doing all that stuff except for pot in 1981, probably, or, or beginning of 82. I mean, it took a little while, but I had been, I was a complete convert for the Gracie diet. I mean, I went from eating hamburgers and hot dogs and French fries and having a Coca-Cola dispenser at will in my place of business to never touching that stuff ever again. What do you so, th what do you think was the fundamental change that took place while you witnessing w what's mind blowing about this whole story is that at not at no given point time he tells you don't do this this is a wrong way there is this just positive influence that takes place almost in a careless way in a sense of you got your life, I have my life, you know, you know, just keep, 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 keep positive, keep coming back. You know, life is good. Just keep, keep at it. But at no point of time, he tells you, don't do this. This is a bad way. You're making a mistake. And yet somehow this leads you into the positive path on your life. What do you think was the, the, the breaking point or the, the shifting point where really you start shifting towards where you need to be versus the old life that you have experienced. 
Well, I'll tell you, I think either what he did he wasn't completely aware of or he was fully aware of is that if you, because I'm sure we've heard something similar to this, if, if you resist, whatever you resist persists. Mm-hmm. So if you're focusing on, oh, God, I shouldn't do this. I'm like, oh, God, I have to stop. Whether it's smoking or a diet, like, oh, I have to, I have to stop doing this. I can't eat. Let's say you want to go on a I can't eat cake anymore. I can't eat cake anymore. If you feel bad about, oh, my God, I can't eat cake, you're focusing on that. Mm-hmm. But if you focus on the positive, and it's like, okay, instead of saying what you can't do, put down what you can do. And if you keep focusing on that, pretty soon there's no, and your health, and your goal is health, being a healthy person, being a positive person. There's no room for that other stuff if that's what your focus is. And so, but here's the deal. When you're doing that and you have a focus on doing something good, the old bad habits sneak in. And it's what we do when we, let's say, here I'm saying, okay, well, I'm going to just do healthy things. And then I smoke pot again, or I did a quaalude or whatever it is. And I feel bad about it. And then I start to beat myself up. I go, what good is it to beat myself up? Why spend that energy instead of just saying, hey, forgive yourself and move on. So I found a brilliant therapist. I also worked with um, Hicks and Gracie was married to a woman named um, Kim. And Kim and I had become very good friends. I mean, I met Kim in Brazil. Before her name was Kim, she, she, was, she went by Lillian. And she was pregnant with Hoxson. That's how long ago this was. So this was 1981 that I met her in Brazil. We got, you know, we became friends. I really liked her. She spoke a little bit of English and I went over to Hickson's house. Anyways, years later when Hickson came over, they were together and she started doing some spiritual work called rebirthing. It's, which is a very interesting because it, it, it a lot of it was surrounded on breath work. So she came over to my place and we did like 10 private sessions of doing intense breath work. And it was, I mean, that was so like amazing. But one of the sessions in the breath work, she said, Richard, you need to focus on forgiveness. And I was just like, wow. I mean, here at a time in my life, and this was early 80s, maybe 81 or shortly after maybe 82 and she goes and I'm not a religious person but she goes you know the Bible says when Jesus was asked about forgiveness he said forgive 70 times 7 so she goes what that means for you is write seven take a person in your life write down I Richard forgive that person I Richard forgive 70 times a day write that so I wrote, I started writing, I, Richard, forgive, 
you know, as one, my father, for whatever I perceived that he did to me. I chose three other people. At the end of the month, I had written down almost 2,000 times, I, Richard, forgive. So when I would do those negative behaviors, the first instinct beat myself up. And then all of a sudden, there was this little voice said, Richard, it's okay. I forgive you. It's okay. I forgive you. Move on. Move on. And I would have internal battles forgiving myself for the, you know, and that's what he was basically focus on the positive. Yeah, obviously, when you do something, you don't want to keep doing it. But don't make that your focus. I screwed up. I can't believe it. What an idiot I am. I mean, but so many people actually do focus on that. And and like, well, of course. And, And one of the things that it, one of the things, and I tell this to people all the time, I, 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 ha- I came across a brilliant therapist in the 82, and I don't know who coined this phrase, but I, I don't know if I made the phrase mine or if I stole it or whatever, but I, when people would tell me, they say, oh, like, they say like, oh, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. And I said, no, I said, don't shit on yourself or anyone else. Because shooting makes you wrong. And when a person says, oh, I know I shouldn't do this. And I said, wait a second. Maybe you should do that. I said, no one knows. But instead of doing this, does this make, like if you tell me, hey, Richard, you shouldn't do that. I don't feel good about that. But if you say it to yourself, you're not even aware of how bad it makes you feel. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all like, like, when people say that, I go, maybe, possibly, may, maybe, you know, then this, what should I do? I said, I don't know what you should do. Uh, what you could do is, and give them a couple of choices, yeah. but that's your own thing. That's your choice. But yep. it, it's a whole mindset. And Horian, you know, the, the, he tells a story about when his kid, maybe when he was younger and pressured to win a jujitsu tournament. And his father said, if you win, I'll give you $5. And if you lose, I'll give you 10. I mean, they knew something back then about where the focus should be. Yeah. So the way he handled it to me was excellent. I mean, what a life, what a life changing pivot point for you, you know, and yeah. And now, you know, 40 some years later, you know, we, we are sitting here, we are chit-chatting about this, but do you have the feeling like you were the luckiest cat in the world in a sense of not only your life is getting back or is getting on the right track, but also arguably you are hanging out with one of the pioneers of what's becoming one of the fastest growing sports in the world. Fastest growing sports arts. 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 Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That has a sport of aspect. That has a sport aspect. Yeah. Yeah. We actually talked to Chris Howder about this. We had him on the show and yeah, he, <laughs> he broke down the whole, his know, triangle. Yeah, yeah. His triangle. He, yeah. But I'm curious, do, do, right. you, do you consider yourself as a, as a lucky cat? I mean, do you consider yourself lucky? I mean, you had access to Horian and his mind 
for that period of time, you guys live together, but I know they continued on many years later where, with the way nobody else had. Like, no, nobody has that access. You guys hang out. You, you guys live together. Yeah. Nah. Of course. How could I not feel? You got me there for a second. I was like, what? Is this guy crazy? What is that? (laughs) You know, how how could I not feel like that? Just one to be with them. And then, you know, I I mean, I I was always there to to help. I became an ambassador for jujitsu. As far as even getting them going out there, trying to finding other students, finding challenges. Um, when we, when he had four garages going and he said, I need to have a school. And he talked to me, he says, I need money. And I said, I agree. And then he says, Richard, no, I need money. And he, <laughs> come on, man. Hustling again. And so, you know, and then for me to go to my parents and, you know, I came up with 40, I borrowed 20 from my parents just so he could get a $60,000 loan to start the Gracie Academy. I mean, you know, I I, I wanted jujitsu to make it, and that's why I also invested in the UFC. And I was told, you know, you're probably going to lose your money. And I went, well, you know, I said, no, I don't think that would happen. But anyway, I mean, I didn't make any money, but I didn't lose any money. But the way the contract set was written, I was supposed to lose my money. Mm. But you know, that's one of the things that Horian did, but I've been, I feel so fortunate to be in the situation that I was because not just Horian, you know, I really, really at one time, you know, was hanging out over at Hickson's house, having private classes with Hickson and really a just you know, to, to be in that surroundings and energy of somebody like Hicks and Gracie, I mean, it was, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, I mean, when I went to Brazil and we're walking down, you know, guys would tell me in Brazil, be very careful. You know, I used to wear a gold chain and, uh, you know, I went to the beach and, you know, a couple friends that I was with said, Richard, do you like that chain? And I go, yeah. And he said, don't wear it. You know, so, you know, but I remember going to Hickson's house one night and when Hickson didn't speak any English and I, but Kim did, and she sent us to the store to get some stuff. And I'm walking down the streets in the evening with Hickson Gracie, not speaking each other's language. We'd look at each other a little bit and we'd smile and we'd thumbs up, you know, but I also felt like, I'm with the freaking toughest guy there is. I feel like I had a bodyguard with me. I mean, at different levels and then even, you know, and to be around Horian, I mean, like no one was going to mess with me. It was, it was the psychological aspect, the confidence that I was getting instilled in myself. I mean, like even listening to you, it, <laughs> it's difficult for me to process and like I've been on the mat for 20 plus years and it's it's difficult for me to process this many consider Hickson to the best of the best of the best that I've ever been 
many would pay thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to do a lesson with him or to train with him or to pick his brain, even life, philosophy, and so on. You're walking down the street to the local store and you are just hanging there. I mean, I I don't even know how to respond to these stories that you are telling us. That's how mind-blowing this is in my mind. I mean, it's you are part of the history. You are that seed that put us where we are today, no? Well, uh, like I said, I was an ambassador. I was I was there. I loved it to be Look, not only did I go everyone else when I got a class with Horian or with Hoyce or with the Machados, it was a half an hour class. I went to Hickson's and he gave me a 45 minute class. And it was a half an hour of instruction and 15 minutes of like nonstop rolling. And you know, after about three minutes of nonstop rolling, I'm like huffing and puffing. <laughs> and I go, okay, okay, take a rest. And he goes, no, this is where the jujitsu kicks in. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> I mean, his mindset yeah. was so much different. Yeah. And so, yeah. and then it's not like the class was over and I left. The class was over and I hung out and we talked. You know, the kids were there. Kim was there. You know, it's like they were friends. And just to be in that kind of energy was, I mean, I, I feel extremely fortunate. And and even when I went to Brazil, I mean, most people like, you know, a lot of people haven't met Grandmaster Elio Gracie. Well, they shared... I mean, the first week, Hickson, Elio, and Carlos Gracie Jr. spent a week with us. So I'm like going, wow, here I am with the best of the best. And then when I went to Brazil the following year, Elio and Helson picked me up at the airport. I mean, feeling like, wow. I mean, you're just I name mean, dropping here now. You're just showing off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. It's a lie. But in at that point, whether you're hanging out with you know with three of them or you're getting picked up from the whatever the cases are, you walking down the street with Hickson. I, I do you have a comprehension in your mind? What are you surrounded by? Like, do you realize what is happening? What are you part of? Is this processing in your mind? It's easy for us to no, look in I, a I retrospective, realize, right? It's easy for us no, to lose. No, I never knew that when it it got as big as it did. I just thought that I was in something positive and it was, and these guys were, were, you know, the guys, but remember it wasn't that big. Mm -hmm. Yeah, This was, this was something that was slowly growing. And even in through the eighties, you know, you, you'd start to see, you know, I invite friends over and they take a class and become students. And then I'd find, you know, I'd bring guys over. I, I mean, one of my employees was a uh, second-degree black belt in Kempo. And I said, hey, you should come by and meet my jiu-jitsu teacher and, you know, do a little demo with him and bring in other guys. I mean, going out and doing the stuff with when we went to Benny Arquitas, when we went to the uh, – with uh, Gene LaBelle, went to the judo school. 
and the stories that happen there. I, and, and, you know, one of the things, that, speaking of Jean LaBelle, um, and I have no qualm, no problem with Jean LaBelle personally, other than what I experienced at the school. And so Horian has told a story, I think, on YouTube, and they said it's something that happened in, in, uh, at the school there. And, you know, so here, here I'm at the um, judo school, probably in the mid-80s. And Horian's there, Hickson's there, Helson's there. Hoyler's there, Hoyce's there. So we kind of, this was the second time going to the judo place. They didn't have, I mean, the only one that they, you know, and, he, and here I'm in a, I'm a blue belt still. And they didn't have anybody that was my size of a student that they could put me up against except for this very masculine female, you know, had short, I mean, had like a, a short hair. And, uh, and I was going to, wow, this is either a very feminine guy or a masculine female. Well, it was a, I mean, and she was bigger than me anyways. So we rolled a little bit and within, I don't know, less than a minute, I got to her back. First time I put a choke on, she didn't want to tap. And then she went, okay, I better tap. The second two times after that, I got to her back. And as soon as I got there, she didn't even put up a fight. She goes, okay, we did it again. And she was like, okay, I'm never going to get anywhere with this guy. So I walked away. And then some black belt who had like 50 pounds on me, he says, hey, man, let's roll. So we get down. He, you know, the guy slams me down to the mat. He mounted on top of me. You know, because he does have some kind of an idea what to do on the ground. The guy's mounted on top of me, going for a neck crank. And and you guys both know, especially you can imagine, if you're mounted on by somebody, and you're a blue belt, and there's a black belt who mounts on top of you, you have about five seconds at most before they tap you. This guy could not tap me out. Went for a neck crank. And I defended the neck crank. He just wasn't skilled in doing anything else. And so as he's doing it, I held him in tight. And I said, I might not be able to escape, but you're never going to tap me out. And the guy got furious. And I mean, I could feel him really putting pressure on. And after about maybe 20 or 30 seconds, Horian said, okay, stop. He, he couldn't escape. But. You couldn't finish him. I felt a little dejected, but I also felt pretty good that the guy couldn't tap me out. So I'm sitting over on a bench, resting. Gene LaBelle walks up to me. Gene LaBelle, you know, when you're sitting down, the guy's wide. Mm -hmm. And I'm 140 pounds, and Gene LaBelle's got to be over 200. He says, hey, you want to roll, kid? And I just had the sense this guy was going to want to teach me a lesson. And I said, no. And I pointed over, I don't know who it was, either Helson or Hickson or Hoyler. I said, but one of those guys would be happy to go with you. 
and he walked in a different direction. And that to me said, wait a second. And and I told about this on, on a, I responded on a YouTube video that this happened. And man, was I getting crap from people who weren't there. Oh, that would never happen with Gene LaBelle, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like going, look, I don't care what you believe. And I remember calling Horian last year because it was coming up that soon. And I said, Horian, I said, refresh my memory. Do you remember? He goes, yeah. And so I started talking to him about this. And I said, how do you deal with it? He said, Richard, don't take it personally. People are going to say what they're going to say. They weren't there, but just let it go. And I was like, ah. <laughs> so I wrote down and I said, look, you can say what you want to say. Maybe Gene was older than Horian at the time. But Horry and I are the same age. He'd roll with me, but he wouldn't roll with them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, there's no doubt that Gene LaBelle was a tough guy. Not a question. But just for him to want to do that, to show me something, to prove something to me, and he wouldn't prove it with them, spoke volumes to me. Yeah. So... I always think of it as people just, are people, and, you know, it's just, there. it is what it is. Sometimes you can't change these. Things, that's right. You know, so. let's forward a little bit. Um, okay. You train jujitsu. Time passes by, and there's this moment when you get your black belt. Oftentimes, yeah. oftentimes, that's a that's considered as a big milestone. I do want to get your perspective on that moment. When that happens, if you are well, the one who is number one in Horian's book, you're the one who, you know, starts probably before around the time when all of this starts here in this country and that that milestone comes along. Talk to me about that. Well, this was back in 96 when Hori and I had a falling out mm -hmm. and I was a brown belt and he basically kicked me out of the academy for what he had, will admit was a misunderstanding. But I left there as a brown belt. So, gosh, I'm pretty sure it was earlier than 98, but Fabio Santos called me. And because he said, Richard, I can't believe what I heard. I can't believe that Horry didn't give you your black belt. I'm giving you your black belt. There was no black belt presentation. He just said, go to the store, get a black belt. You're a black belt. We've heard yeah, that and story. I was like, That's why I want to hear that story from you. <laughs> go get a black belt. <clears throat> uh, so I went to the market store in Pico and I said yeah I'd like to buy a black belt um do you have a do you have a certificate I said no he says can't sell you one I'm like what <laughs> I said the guy in Brazil is a black belt gave me a black belt he says sorry so I was over at Krav Maga and uh they had black belts in the room they said here Richard you can put this one on so I wore a black belt that I got over at Krav Maga for a long time. <laughs> and then back in 2010, I got a call from 
you know, and this 12 years later, I get a call from Hiran Gracie. <clears throat> and he said, Richard, we're doing a special presentation and a belt ceremony. and We want to present something to my father, a special award or whatever. And we'd like you to be there and talk about, you know, my dad since you were his first. So I said, Will you, would you come on a Saturday morning? And I went, sure. So I went over there and uh, sitting in the audience and they're presenting belts and then they, they finish. And then Horian takes the microphone. He says, guys, I want to give a special presentation today for somebody who hasn't been acknowledged and we want to acknowledge him finally. And so it wasn't for me to say anything about Horian. It was for him to give me the official Gracie black belt. So he called me up there and gave me the black belt. So technically I, I get, I have, how many guys do you know that have two black belts in jujitsu? <laughs> <laughs> Not many. That's what makes the great so, story. Do you think that the, that, that the official, official moment when you get it from Horian, when you're there, does that make it any better for you personally? I would imagine that there is certain, there was a certain level of dissatisfaction that things don't go according to plan and this and that. And Fabio Santos, you know, the kind of path goes down that way. We actually had him on the show too. So it's, 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 it's what's your feeling on that? Well, because I didn't get it from Horian, I felt that, and then when Fabio just said, hey, you know, I can't believe Horn didn't give it to you. I thought, well, I didn't deserve it. And then all of a sudden Fabio comes along and says, here you go. You know, it's your black belt. I can't. And I'm like, wow. And uh, I was never close to the toughest guy in the academy. I was one of the most technical. And I, and I know how to, I mean. I spent more time with Horian than anyone else did, and I know how to teach the way that he taught, which is probably the reason that I got my black belt, because I was, a lot of guys that I've talked to afterwards, been on podcasts, that, and they were students there, and they said, well, no one knew, especially the self-defense like Richard did. He was like getting it from them, from the source, because I had trained so much with them, and I... I helped Steve Maxwell prepare for his test. So, you know, it's just, I just happened to be there. And that's why, so when I didn't get it, I went, okay, well, you know, there was a reason he didn't give it to me. And, uh, but it, it's, it's nice to be recognized years later. It would have been nicer if it was not that much further down the line, but... <laughs> You know, it, how did it, you at least, how did you feel that day? You think this is for Horian? You think this is completely different objective? You show up over there, and your name gets called, and I mean, it has to feel good to be racked. Oh, it, that it, it felt amazing! It felt amazing. Yeah, yeah. What an amazing story! I mean, what what an amazing journey that you've had so far, and. You know, there's so much ahead still. And, and I, you know, I do appreciate you being the huge advocate of jiu-jitsu without people like you. I mean, I wouldn't have the job. Well, I wouldn't have to put up with him 
That's, <laughs> but, but we wouldn't do what we love. We wouldn't have these opportunities to talk to people and train jujitsu and, and, and really have this fabulous, fabulous life embracing what we really love. How do you think the jujitsu changed in the last four decades since the first day you have changed, stepped on the mat today, what you see as a witness, um, you know, as is unfolding around the world, if you had to pinpoint one thing that was the biggest shift in jiu-jitsu? Um, one of the things that I, I am a co-host of a podcast. Mm -hmm. It's called the Matt Martial Arts Podcast. We, we don't, we're not recording regularly. It's very, you know, it's, I, I do it with a purple belt from Grace University. And one of the things that, that we've talked about continually is what's happened in jujitsu because the sportive aspect of jujitsu to me is such a huge, it's such a huge push for the sport. And it's also what I have kind of coined. It's becoming high school wrestling with athleticism, um, the physicality, the age of these guys. I mean, they're on the mats. I mean, they, a lot of these guys are young and, and they're on the mats. I mean, you know, when I was doing this back then, maybe two or three hours a week, these guys are in there two or three hours a day. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... And, and it's just, and I heard that, I forgot who it was, but some well-known guy recently posted a few months back, you know, like here, I, I, part of my book says how jujitsu saved my life. And this guy was saying how jujitsu destroyed his because how his body's broken down. But, and I have responded to him on his post and i said maybe you need to train a little smarter and get your get your ego out of the way and you know no one's telling you to become a jujitsu champion and train 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 and avoid your injuries your body's talking to you and the reason i call it high school wrestling is because the younger guys can recover quicker mm -hmm. and deal with their injuries the older guys can't and here, I'm going to be 72 next week. And I haven't had every single injury I've had, back, neck, knee, you know, shoulder. I have been able to deal with non-surgically. And, and I see so many people who have gotten surgeries. And... I found something that really works for me, but it's also, I can't be on the mat as much. Yeah. I want to be able to walk out and stand up straight. I, I know something. I just had an injury. Well, it's not what you call an injury that happened all of a sudden. I just, two months ago, I developed a hernia and it looks like I got to get surgery for the hernia. Other than that, for any other kind of like injuries, been able to deal with it. I mean, my, and everybody knows who does jujitsu, their neck. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I used to sit there and let people stack me up and, you know, which I don't recommend anymore, but I learned how to deal with it. My neck is better now than it was 30 years ago. Yeah. And I never did a neck strengthening exercise. Well, you're referring so, to as essentially being smart. I mean, it's putting some intelligence into your training. It's, it's not, not. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what we're talking about. Right. And I think as time continues evolving, we're getting smarter about this, but not everybody's going to follow these guidelines. I mean, there are some, there are some savages out there who will put their body through a mill, you know, and I mean, yeah. And they'll pay the price though. They Absolutely. won't be able to last them. They're going to, they'll do the surgeries and they'll do the stem cells, which, you know, that I've heard good things about, but you know, it, it's, you have to, you have to be smart about it and get your ego out of the way and say, look, I mean, look, do I wish I could be on the mat more? Absolutely. Do I wish I could kind of, you know, I was talking, do you guys know the name Chris Saunders? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Chris is a friend of mine. I met back in 84, 85 in the garage and he's Hickson's first black belt. And Hickson, I mean, uh, Chris is, so I'm going to be 72. Chris is, I think, just turned 60. Or he's going to be 61 soon. And, you know, and he says, Richard, how do you deal with, you know, the newer stuff when some of your students ask you? And I, he says, how much time can you put? And I said, you know, there are so many, like, leg locks and new guards. And I said... I just focus on the principles of jujitsu. I don't have the time or the energy to keep, to learn every single move out there. I'd be going nuts. So I focus on all martial arts have principles and I focus on those. And that's, you know, and I, and I said, look, if you want something else, you have to find a different teacher. And having that recognition is really, really important. Knowing what we can offer, what we cannot offer. And I, I wish more yeah. people more people had that opportunity, at least in their mind, to recognize these things. Richard, recently, we've been at this for over an hour. But before we officially finish this, what we, what we do every episode is we have a question for you from our previous guest. However, he didn't know who will be answering it. So he answer, asked it completely in blind completely blind, not knowing that you will be the one answering. Gary's going to take a take a lead on this, and we'll finish up shortly after this. Yeah, this is a unique one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we had Gilberto Castro on um, from Aloha Roll, and uh, he wants to know if you think you could find your soulmate in your academy. I don't, and I don't know where he was going with this because, yeah. <laughs> well, he found his, right? I mean. Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. yeah. Who was that? Gilberto Castro. His uh, his longtime partner. They've been together for twenty years now, uh, and and met. Um, you know when he started doing jujitsu. Yeah, what a great story of his. I mean, he his just a few months ago his academy got wiped out in Hawaii. He lost everything, and he's rebuilding it right now. What a great story! You wow. probably um, heard of him, but anyhow, do you think you can find your soulmate on the mat? No. How <laughs> <laughs> come? Well, first of all, what's the average age people come in for jujitsu? I, I, I suppose well, our, it depends yeah. on the location, but you know, our our demographic is about thirty-five. Yeah, they probably know? already <laughs> met their their. They might be on their. Yeah. Uh, well, even if they thing. hadn't, how many thirty-five-year-old women want somebody twice their age? 
<laughs> well, maybe he's not talking about you particularly. It's just in general. Just in general, because yeah. he didn't know it was going to you. Oh, wait a second. Yeah. Okay, so, so in general. I, I think you're asking me. Okay, yeah, I think a person could find their soulmate on the mat. Yeah, it's a, it's an odd question. Uh, <laughs> and I, talk yeah, to I mean, I have a student. I, I have a student of mine that started with me well back, um, you know, and he he trained with me, got his blue belt from me, went to Verdum, got his purple, went to Henry Aikens, got his brown, went up to San Francisco, and I forgot who gave him his black. But I guess there was a woman who was in jujitsu with him, and and all of a sudden I know they're dating, and now they're married, and they have a kid. So... You know, it's possible. And I sure believe me, I always thought like, you know, because I used to I was in the first class over at the Gracie Academy that I said, Horan, we should have, you know, because they weren't letting women train there. I said, let's have a, a class for women. Mm-hmm. And I'm who's the perfect guy to teach? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we had we had women come in there and, you know, I used to teach anywhere from four to six women. You know, and I thought maybe that would be it, but didn't happen. Didn't happen. <laughs> it's hard enough to build a women's program 40 years later. What was it like then trying to do it? Oh, man. It, it was one. I mean, look, they wouldn't. I mean, now you can women can come into a, you know, it could be a co-ed class. Mm-hmm. But back at the Gracie Academy, I mean, women weren't doing jujitsu. And, uh, I mean, now, I mean, when I go to the Gracie University, they have, I mean, they have a huge women's program. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. they do. And there's a lot of women. Want, there's a really, really sweet woman who's, who's, uh, who trains over at Gracie University, you know, because I rolled with her. Uh, her name is Carla, and she's a black belt, and she's really, really nice and, you know, and, and really technical. You know, just so, but there's so many over there. I mean, there's, you know, I know the brown belts and purple belts and, you know, it's, it's, it's something, but it's also something people have to be very careful with, Sure. you know, because if you don't have the right intentions or if you're just going out trying to Mm -hmm. make a little, you know, Mm -hmm. connection, that's you can't come back, but, uh, you can get in trouble. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. That's right. So the answer to your question is yes. I think it's possible. Awesome. It's possible. <laughs> is it probable? <laughs> well, that's the that. Wait a second. That that's that's part yeah, two, that's which good. will be next. Time. <laughs> there you go. Nice segue. I like it. I like it. Rachel, thanks Thank for you. thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your such a rich history and your story, your life story, and really being open because we did talk about, we touched on some, you know, personal topics and, and that I do appreciate really sharing that story. Where can people find you? If any of the listeners want to reach out to you, where is your book available? We post all the links as we always do in the show notes of this episode, but talk about that a little bit. Are you accessible online available? Yeah. Is this going to be an audio or a video both. podcast? That would be both. Both. Okay, so for the people <laughs> here, that it is. Video. Just show if you're listening, you need to turn YouTube on right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, if they're looking for me, I'm on Facebook. 
under Richard Bressler. Um, I'm on Instagram. I think it's, if you put in Richard Bressler, I think it's richard.bressler. Um, I have a website, richardbressler.com that has a link to Amazon. It's also worthdefendingbook.com. I mean, it's hard I've not had to find quite you. a few people. That's right. I've had quite a few people who have read the book who've been reaching out and just thanking me for, for writing the book that we did. And Scott did an amazing job putting my story together. He's a phenomenal yeah, guy to talk to. As you mentioned, we just had him recently, just a couple of weeks ago on the, on the show. What a great story. And I'm gra- glad that he was able to assist with the book. And, um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that you might have some people reaching out as this will be releasing. And, and you know, again, again, we appreciate what you've done. We appreciate what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And thanks to people like you and that book, the history carries on. Those stories stay alive. And that's truly at least my mission behind these conversations. Gary? Yeah, it's great stuff. And I really appreciate, um, you know, you sharing your personal side uh, because if there's people out there um, going through the same struggles, yep. especially that self-worth part of it, um, you know, they can look to, to the book and to you um, to see that they're not alone and, uh, and they can find their way out of it too. So I really, really want to thank you for that. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, anytime that anyone asks me to talk about jujitsu, I mean, this is near and dear to my heart, and I'd like to stay on the mats as long as I possibly can. And, you know, jujitsu changed my life. Jujitsu kind of became a lot of my life. And, you know, it's something that I, I want to share with, with everybody. And at first I wasn't excited about having a book because I'm, you know, if you talk to me personally, I'll share with you about my life, the intimate parts of it, but putting it out on paper, I went, oh my God, man, this, this isn't not just going to be one and two guy that I talk to, or even a class. This is going to be, you know, right now, thousands of people have read this book. And I went like, oh man, but I told my, one of my neighbors about the book and he read it and he goes, Richard, he said, you were so, um, vulnerable. And I said, just the way, if we have a conversation, I mean, why not share who you are if you're going to share it all? And, and now I'm, you know, at first I didn't want it out and now I'm proud of it. And I'd like to have more people, not just for the history, but also to help different struggles they've had. And again, it takes a point of vulnerability and it takes a point of strength to put yourself in that vulnerable point. And for that, we do appreciate. I think you are changing lives. You are impacting people on and off the mat. And that is, that's the important part. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Let's wrap it up for today. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Raw Radio. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a review and help us make the show even more amazing. For future episodes, check out our website and follow us on all major podcast platforms. Take care.